So it's my great privilege to continue week two of our part on something which I feel totally unqualified to bring in myself. Imagine a human being talking about this divine member of the Godhead called the Holy Spirit. So I trust you've been praying for me this week and pray for me next week as we unpack it because what we are dealing with is something wonderful. It's something divine. It's something that's life-changing. It's not something that's a theory or an abstract. This wonderful Holy Spirit is a person, like we saw last week, available for you and me as Christians. And uh, one of the things that I wanted to say to you this morning as we unpack this, I want to remind you, if anybody here is not too sure about what I mean by the Holy Spirit, what I mean is there is this incredible member of the Godhead, this Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We believe there's one God in three persons. You want to ask me how that works? I've got no idea. Does it work in practice, in, in reality? Yes. What I want to say to you this morning, what I'm talking about here, there's going to be a lot of information, but it's not information. We're talking about something that's real, something that comes through relationship, and it's something that God is offering you today wherever you're at. It's the most wonderful thing. And what God is offering here in the Holy Spirit, it's not for those who've got it all together. Our friend, as you're going to see later in the scriptures, this Holy Spirit loves to come into messiness and bring Christ. And so I just want to say, whoever here is feeling maybe a bit cold or distant, I want to maybe turn up the thermostat of your heart and your expectation. So what I'm talking about here in the Holy Spirit, this is for you. It's for you. doesn't matter where you're from. And it comes through your relationship with Jesus. And we'll unpack that a little bit in a moment. But this is all connected to something that we feel God leading us in. As elders and as a church for 2019, we feel that uh, if you had to ask, what is SBC? Who is SBC? Well, you, you know it. I brought it up last week. We are a church who's called to fulfill the great commandments. There's actually two. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. That's our loving up. You want to know why you exist, my friends? You are thinking about what career you should do and where you should go in your life? That's not the most important question. The most important question is, what am I made for? Do you mind just maybe, uh, Laurie or, or Pierre, um, I've got competition in the audience from the prayer room door. <laughs> um, is We are made for God. We're made to love Him. Let me tell you, your purpose is found out of the understanding that whatever you are called to do, that never changes. The second is we're called to love in. That the second one is love your neighbor as yourself. And all of this is in our summit sermons, so I'm not going to rehash it all. They're online. But um, we believe this year that God is really calling us as a church to live out this identity. And you can see the phrase that we feel that we're focusing on under this love is building committed community. Friends, Jesus upgraded that second great commandment to this. He said, if you're a Christian, he said, by this the world will know that you are my disciples, that you love one another by whose standards? As I have loved you. Jesus said the community that we are to resemble is as committed as Christ. And this we will unpack for the rest of our existence as a church until Christ comes again. But I feel, and as the eldership, we feel strongly that this is what the Lord is wanting to stir in us. That we understand our presence matters here. And these are brothers and sisters. And their well-being must be on your heart as well as ours. In prayer, in partnership, in giving, in presence, in being regular, in being more committed to, um, to the church than to a ministry, more committed to the church than just a small group. We understand that this calling of living out lives together is in this wonderful thing called community. So there's your first challenge. Are you part of a small group? 
you'd like to be part of a small group? Are you committed to this as your home? Are these brothers and sisters around you and their well-being as important as your own? That's what God's calling us to. And the last is this. is loving out. We believe that the Lord's clarification to the question, who is my neighbor? Is Jesus extending that ring of love to incorporate people we would not normally like to include? And I say it again today, Sterling, we need to feel the call of God upon our church to become a picture of the gospel that resembles our city. Different people, different cultures, different divides coming together under one Savior. And that's the kind of testimony God's calling us to bring. And so, the loving up, that's where we're starting this year. It comes from this wonderful, can we go back to the loving up? This wonderful one of pursuing life in the Holy Spirit. We feel very strongly that this is where it all is enabled and empowered, and that's where we must begin. And last week, we looked at a very special moment of, perhaps for some of us, for the first time, seeing the Holy Spirit not as an electric current, not as a, a, a experience. Oh, my friend, do we experience the Holy Spirit? Yes, we do. But he's not an experience. He's not a thing or an it. And if you ever, if you ever hear me say it, you go, Bop, what's a good word? You call me on it. He's a he. And uh, I want to say to you, to you today, if, if that is something that you're asking, where can I start with the Holy Spirit? It's recognizing he's a person. He has a personality. He can be related to. He speaks. He does all those things we spoke about last week. And we said the right posture to start with when we think about the Holy Spirit, and this is where you and I must start, is to realize He's God. He's divine. He's not something to be tweaked and manipulated to kind of have our little fix or to do our sort of will. The right response to the Holy Spirit is not how much of the Holy Spirit I can have, but how much of the Holy Spirit can have me. That's the right response. Is actual fact, He has an agenda, and our worship of Him is to come under His leadership, to allow our lives to be shaped by Him. You with me? That's where we start. That's the worship. But the second thing is that we have to understand is not only is he a person, but today we have to understand that he, he does stuff. He works. And my heart for us as a church today is to, to see two things. The first is, what are the things that the Holy Spirit does so that when we see it happening, we recognize it as him? That's very important. I almost, uh, you know, one of the wonderful things about being married to my wife is I'm learning her ways. And you can start to predict the way of what pleases Marina and what does not please Marina. She's a person. She has characteristic ways of the way she likes to do things. And the Spirit's the same. But the second is this. The second thing I want to really hit home today by the grace of God is to understand not only what this Holy Spirit does, but how much we need Him. You see, when it clicks that you understand that this Holy Spirit does stuff in and through you. And unless it is operating, we're done for. We're done for. And today, I want to awaken by God's grace a fresh longing and dependency and need in us for this person of the Holy Spirit. Because until we see our need, friends, we will not really have a hunger. And that's where we want to be. So, the way I'm going to tackle it is I'm going to tackle it looking at how does the Holy Spirit come to us through Scripture. Starting with the Old Testament and supremely in the Son of God Himself. How does the Spirit do His work? And there's a few big things that we can pick up immediately as we start to read our Bibles. And the first is, 
Anybody ever here started with Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, when they wanted to read their Bible? Anybody put up your hands. You, want to, you open up this big book. Where do I start? Well, the beginning is a good place to start, right? Oh, my goodness. After a couple of chapters, you realize maybe it wasn't the best place to start. <laughs> ah, what do we read in that second beautiful verse? You cannot get away from the Holy Spirit right from the very beginning in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. Oh, we see that the Spirit is not only present but involved in creation. He is the Creator. And the big thing we have to start with in Scripture is that the Spirit brings life. That is the job of the Spirit. The Spirit brings life. Cheryl, my, my little girl's, uh, Cheryl, Sharon, my little girl's play school teacher, she caught a caterpillar for the kids. And, and um, when Sarah arrived at school this week, she produced this little caterpillar. She said, look, Sarah, look what I caught. And there's this thing squeaking in the cellophane trying to, and I just saw this beautiful laugh. My friend, that life is the consequence of the Holy Spirit coming upon something that's dust, something that's just DNA, something that's just dead. And there, by the power of the Spirit, that little caterpillar is going to be transformed. Transf- I don't know if it's a moth or a butterfly or whatever, but it's going to be transformed into life. And can I say to you this morning, someone said to me last week, Matthew, how can you say the Holy Spirit's the creator? God's the Father's the creator, not so. He's the one that spoke it all into being. Well, don't you see the next verse? For me, it, it depicts how the Holy Spirit works. What does God say? He says, let there be light. And there's this little phrase, let the, and there was light. Just think about that for the moment. Darkness everywhere, and the Father commands. Who brings that light into being? My friend, it's the Holy Spirit. And so that's how the relationship works. You saw last week how the Father plans and commands. And that's why in the Old Testament, the Spirit is called God's breath. As he speaks, so the Spirit is summoned and does this work. And it says, by the very breath of God, there is life in this world. Can I just take a moment to marvel at that for a second? You see, we, we read these scriptures and we go, oh, well, that's so very nice. Not so. How many of you are keen naturists here? You go on, I know, come on, I'm looking at some of you. You'd have to go on game drives, bird watches. How many of you love watching BBC, Planet Earth, all of that? Put up your hands high so I know who I can need to still convince. Good. You know what happens when I look at those things? I just marvel. Because that's what the evidence of the Spirit's power is and the diversity of this life and the way that this life perpetuates. It's the most incredible thing. And the psalmist picks it up in Psalm 104. And I just want you to maybe close your eyes for a minute. Everybody just close your eyes. From verse 24, let's listen to these words. The psalmist is gripped by this. He says, Oh Lord, oh Lord, how manifest are your works. How manifold they are. In wisdom, you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Here is the sea, great and wide. Picture that in your mind, which teems with creatures innumerable. All the fish, all the the whales, all the, the amazing coral reefs of the world, living things, both small and great. And listen to this. Picture this. These all look to you to give them their food in due season. When you give it to them, they gather it up. And when you open your hand, they are filled with good things. When you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. Because here it is, verse 30. When you send forth your spirit, they are created. And you renew the face of the ground. You can open your eyes. The very fact that there's life, the very fact that you're alive is by the Holy Spirit's power. Now, man, 
what this psalmist is saying is, not only did the Spirit bring this all into power, but He's upholding it. He's sustaining it. Think about all those animals that need food. Think about all those animals that need sunlight and need, need nurturing and nutrients and need to find a mate. Some of us know what that feels like to procreate. There's all these aspects of life, and the Holy Spirit is not only the creator of it, He's the sustainer of it. When last have you honored God for keeping you alive? When last have you honored God as breathing life into your children, your nephews, the very fact that you have friendships, the very fact that you have a world that's teeming with life and possibility and vigor and vitality? My friend, it's the Holy Spirit. Wow. Not only that, Job chapter 34, verse 14 to 15 said, if God had to suck in his breath and go, well, that doesn't sound too good. <laughs> if God had this inhale. In other words, draw this Holy Spirit out of creation. Everything would die. I don't know if it's theologically correct, but I have this thinking. Clearly in Scripture, the Spirit produces life and the Spirit can take it away. Can I say to you, the moment the Spirit withdraws from your life, it says we go back to being dust. Now, I ask you the question this morning. If God made you by the Spirit, who are we accountable for the way we live? You know, people often ask, who's this God? Who's this God? Why should I give him any of my time? Why does he care about me? His son died. I didn't ask for that. It's a good question. What ownership does this God of the Bible have in my life? Do you know what ownership he has? He made you by the Spirit. And because he gave you life, you're accountable to him of how you live it. And so, friends, the Holy Spirit is the most powerful force that is not only the creator of this world in line with God's plan, but he's the sustainer of it. And what we learn is when the Spirit is absent, there is death. There is death. And that's a spiritual significance for us as a church. We'll get there. And the second thing is, wow, this Holy Spirit, when we read our Old Testament, he makes the presence of this God of heaven known on earth. And it's not an abstract presence of going, oh, I read that story in the Bible. Let me tell you, sometimes we tend to read our Bibles as being 2,000 years away from it. Not so, or maybe 4,000 years away from it. Friends, when we open up Scripture, as Isaiah says, and that Red Sea, oh, shame, don't worry, I've got a little one too. When we open up that Bible, I want you, next time you read Exodus, if you get there after making it through Genesis, <laughs> is I want you to picture what it was like when Moses raised his little toothpick of his staff and he struck that Red Sea and the Spirit's power parted this mighty barrier of the people of God whilst protecting the people from God from this Pharaoh's army. And this incredible witnessing of the Spirit's power by this first generation, it must have been one of the most amazing sights. Who would have liked to have seen that? I would have. Hey, not so. It doesn't just in there. Isaiah tells that the Spirit of God was in the midst of this camp of Israel. Let me tell you, the most wonderful thing about being a member of God's people is that you get to experience His presence. Friends, when they were in the wilderness, let me tell you that wilderness is not a pretty picture, right? It's not like a rock, rocking up at the Kruger and seeing beautiful, well, maybe you don't want to see beautiful lions and hyenas and all that sort of thing. It was a desert, is there food in the desert? Anybody want to tell me that? Anybody been to the desert lately? 
One of the most awesome experiences was traveling through Namibia. It was a wasteland for kilometers and kilometers. Let me tell you, you know how cold it gets in the desert? Anybody camped in the desert before? It's freezing. No food. Anybody seen lots of water <laughs> in the desert? Desert by nature is very dry. And yet, it says in the midst of his need, maybe this is for somebody here today, the absence of anything in circumstance was supplied by the presence of the Holy Spirit. And friends, those people got to witness the Holy Spirit's presence in the midst. There was a little tent that, that God gave a design from heaven to Moses, which was built by a man filled with the Spirit called Bezalel. And this glorious cloud would come down in this tent. And in the morning, Moses would wake up and he would walk into this tent with this cloud of God's presence. He would walk into the presence of God. And it was saying, the people would come out of their tents and watch Moses go in to the glory of God. And when he came out, his face was shining. So much so, they were terrified that he had to veil his face because he had been in the Holy Spirit's presence. And friends, today, I want you to know that God is not a distant God. By the power of His Spirit, He came down by a pillar of cloud by day, and He led His people through this wilderness. He produced by His power water from a rock. He produced by His power manna every morning, supernatural bread from heaven. Who of you would love to have breakfast made when you wake up in the morning? These Israelites had it. They had quail. God, by the power of His Spirit, Isaiah 63 says, supplied all their needs and made His presence known. Isn't that awesome? How about this one? A couple of years, a couple of generations later, there's this temple of Solomon, the most glorious gold. And he was such a wealthy guy. He built this thing so it was so beautiful. But you know what was the real difference about this building? Well, it's not that it was so ornate and, and magnificent. There were other big buildings. I think the pyramids, the pyramids were way bigger, right? And built a couple of thousand years before. Do you know what was amazing about this building? It was in the very midst of God's capital, Jerusalem. There was a moment at its, at its uh, commissioning when Solomon is praying. This cloud comes down and the priests have to run out of the Holy of Holies because the glory of God through the power of the Spirit manifested himself in this place. Now I ask you this morning. If this is what the Old Testament saints had experienced, how much more us who have this new covenant which says this Holy Spirit doesn't just dwell in a place by the power and grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he achieved on the cross. This Holy Spirit that filled the temple that people couldn't stand in, that, that cast people onto the ground because of its glory. It comes and dwells in you. Isn't that incredible? That no longer is the Spirit in a, in a place. We become people of the presence of of the glory of God, and it comes through the power of the Spirit, raising us to newness of life, which is the function of the Spirit, and making us born again to become children of the living God. Oh, friends, this is not something abstract. This glory of God is to be experienced by the Christian. If he could fill a stubborn old, dilapidated brick, dusty building, let me tell you how much more can he fulfill a created being that has the breath of God that's brought it into existence. This is the glory of the Spirit. And friends, this, this longing, I'm telling you, 
How many of us would have liked to be on that day at the temple when that glory filled that building? I would have been. Oh, no, no. When I, I was challenged by this, the Old Testament saints, when they're looking to the future, saying, God, God, you're going to do something much greater by your spirit. We are longing for the spirit's coming. What we've witnessed, the splitting of the Red Sea, this pillar of cloud by day, by fire by night, this manna, this glorious conquering of Jericho, where walls are falling out with the power of the spirit upon his people. Oh, it's nothing in comparison to what's going to come. Nothing. There is this glorious, prophetic longing in Scripture for a time when the Spirit would be poured out in measures that Israel longed to see and had not yet tasted. Wow! And it says here in Ezekiel, it says not only will the Spirit, which has traditionally come upon people in the Old Testament, just a few people, some of the people for a time of service, we'll get to that in a moment. No, no, there's going to come a day when there's going to be something more beautiful and wonderful, and it is this mark of Ezekiel 36, where it talks about the new covenant. It says, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And here it is, and I will put my holy spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules no longer no longer would the spirit just come upon some people or be in a few people no no god's people under the new covenant which jesus ushered in would be characterized by being inhabited by god now you might say to yourself who on earth is worthy of a gift like that if that is not your question, then you have not yet understood what it means to have God's very presence come and fill your life by the Holy Spirit. For some of us here this morning, I think our response to a thought like that is, how could God ever inhabit me? One of the things that I love about the Old Testament is the kind of people the Holy Spirit empowers for service. It is astounding. Moses was a murderer. Did you know that? Rahab was a prostitute. The very 12 tribes of Israel are named after 11 or 10 brothers that tried to kill Try to kill one of their very own. I could go on and on through my mind. They're coming. I think about the judges. Who here remember a guy called Samson? Hey? He liked that foxy lady Delilah. And he tried to get with this girl and play with some fire. Let me tell you when I read his life, and yet what God used him to achieve by the power of the Spirit, my friend, I have every encouragement that God can use me. I look at guys like these feeble men like Gideon. I mean, Gideon, is, was there ever a guy that put the angel's patience to the test? Here comes the angel, and he's in the threshing floor. You know why he's in the threshing floor? Because he's too terrified that the enemies of Israel are going to come and take away this harvest that they, they lost a little bit of food. And he's so scared he's in the threshing floor, and he, or the wine press, I think it is, and he's trying to flesh wheat in secret. And this angel comes to this little, I don't even know what the right word is. 
what's the Afrikaans for, for uh, it's coming, it's, it's uh, Bangbruk. That's it. Yeah, it's a good one, Bangbruk. And here's this guy, and this angel says to Gideon, Gideon, mighty warrior, you're going to deliver my people from these enemies. And I mean, Gideon, he says, excuse me, I'm the weakest of 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 the weakest tribe of the weakest family, and I'm the weakest in my family, and pretty much you can't use a weaker person to find somebody else. And then the angel says, no, I want you. He says, no, no, well, let me just test you. Let me take out my little fleece, my little lappy. And he puts it down, and he says, yeah, I'll put it on the ground. And, if, if, and, he, and yet, God raises up this man. Weak. Even foolish to do my anything. King Saul. Oh, man, there's another guy. I'm the weakest, 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 weakest. So insecure. God anointed. David, not even in the lineup of the brothers. Samuel doesn't even think to, to consider until he gets to the very end. And here God chooses friends this morning. This Holy Spirit is not for anybody who is just so perfect. Oh, let me tell you, in actual fact, he hates perfection because we actually just blind to our imperfection. That's the bottom line. What he loves is people who need him, praise God. Who can actually say, God, forgive me because I can't do this by myself. I've sinned. Please cleanse me by the blood and make me sufficient to live for you. I'll tell you what our problem is. We tend to look at our lives through the lens of self-sufficiency. Why? Because we have not been gripped with the standard Christ sets for godliness. So many of us here this morning, and this is my own life, I did it this week. I felt God wake me up and say, Matthew, what are you trying to be? What are you trying to be? And I thought to myself, I just want to be a good person. Oh, really? You don't need me for that. There are lots of good people on this planet Earth, not so? A lot better than I am. Are you going to be a godly person for me? If you're going to love up, love in and love out, let me tell you, you're going to need the help of the Spirit because you're selfish, you're selfish, you're selfish. Oh, loving up. No, you love in because you love yourself. Loving in, what's that? No, no, you're, just, you're looking at your navel. There's no loving out. What is this? that? It's all about me, not so? My friends, the Holy Spirit this morning, if you do not understand the height and breadth of what He's calling you to, oh man, you're just going to settle for a good life and why do you need the Spirit then? When last have you felt the pinch of realizing the call of God on your life. And then when last have you found the grace that drives you to the need of the Spirit that says, there's no ways I can reach this on my own. I'm going to digress a little bit because I just sense the Lord putting His finger on our hearts here at SBC. And I just sense how many of us haven't had a sense of the need for the help of the Spirit because we've been lulled into this false sense of security of just being good people. I look across here, I see lots of good, lovely people. Much better than me. I sense the Lord saying, is that what you've been saved for? Is that your sum total of why you're here? To tick some of the boxes, and if you have the black boxes, it ticks, oh, well done, I'm, I'm okay. Or do you recognize your call to be an ambassador for Christ? In your work, where you live, where you... You are called by the Spirit to represent the Son of God. Oh, God forbid we would settle for a moralistic, legalistic, awful religion that says good is enough. No, my friend, good is what the world has. Godliness, righteousness, portraying a kind of love that only Christ has for the world, of partnering for an eternal kingdom, investing in something that's going to last forever. That's the call of the Spirit, not the call of the flesh. God, awaken us, I pray, that we might sense what God has called us as a church. This is not going to be done by some trite little sayings. This is not going to be achieved by some trite little gatherings. This is coming with understanding. This is beyond myself. And that the Spirit, the Spirit, 
has to be the one that empowers me to change. And praise God, he works in people that need to change. This concept of waiting for the right time to start living for Jesus, can I just say to you, you'll wait for the rest of your life. What has God put in your heart to do for him? What has God put in your heart to do for him? I pray that God would awaken that in us. And when we see it, like Moses, we would say, I can't do it. That we might know as God's people that wonderful promise where God says to Moses, he not doesn't tell him what he's going to do. He just says, Moses, I am with you. I am with you. By the Spirit's power, I'm with you, SBC. That's what you lean into. Not yourself, not the details of how this is all going to work out. No, no, you lean into me. You lean into my sufficiency. That moment by moment, you're pursuing this life in the Holy Spirit. And oh, when you start to do that, you start to be marveled at what the Spirit can achieve through you. This is not by duty. This is not by some form of ritual, God forbid. This is by the grace and power of the Spirit. Might we know it as a church? Because ultimately, might I say to you today, guys, when you look at the life of Jesus, if there was anybody who could have gotten away with not needing the Holy Spirit in their lives, it was the very Son of God. Not so? Let me tell you, the work of the Holy Spirit was supreme in the life of Christ. Could he have been born, been conceived by a virgin apart from the Holy Spirit? Could he have? Right at the very beginning, in order for Christ to fulfill his work as our Savior and our exalted, resurrected Redeemer, he needed the power of the Spirit to actually make any of it possible. Might I say it's the same for you as a Christian. We'll get to that next week. The second is this. Do you notice we hear nothing about Jesus except one or two lines for 30 years? For 30 years, there's just this blank spot of going, what on earth happened to Jesus? I'll tell you why. Because until the Holy Spirit met this Jesus Christ at his baptism, he never did a miracle. He never preached a sermon. He never did anything supernatural that we know of recorded because according to the New Testament, the New Testament writers by the Spirit wants us to know until even the Son of God conceived by the Spirit and even sinless by the power of the Spirit, needed a level of empowering that he even surprised Christ. I say to you this morning, church, we might be born of the Spirit, but Christ's very own example is saying, in order for us to achieve the work that God has for us, Christ's own example is we need the power of the Spirit. Do you know what it says in the very next verse of, Matthew, of Luke chapter 4? It says, the second, the very next second after Jesus' baptism, it says, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Isn't it incredible? The Son of God experienced a filling of the Holy Spirit that empowered him for ministry. We tend to look at Jesus and say he was divine, therefore he did the miraculous. But can I say to you this morning, SPC, 
He was human. And it is all by the power of the Spirit. And until that clicks in us, that we start to understand that this Son of God got no free tickets because of his divinity. It says he emptied himself of his glory. Think about this. He was tempted in the same way we were. He had to sleep the same way we were. He got hungry the same way we were. He faced every aspect of our weakness because he took our place. He took our weakness upon him. How the heck did he do this? It's by the power of the Spirit. And I ask you this morning, the very first thing that Jesus says in Luke is from Isaiah chapter 60, verse 60, 61, verse 1. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. What was the power of Christ? Was it that he was just the Son of God? No, it was because it was the Son of God coming under the power of the Spirit whilst he was in this chain of weakness in the flesh. So I'll ask you the question again. Where does your confidence lie, SBC? Is it in your capacity to do a few prayers, to read a few things? Is it in our worship services with all of our technology? Is it all in our ritual and routine of saying, I don't say certain things, I don't swear, I don't touch certain things, I don't go to certain places, I don't look like certain things? Is that the confidence we have? If that is your sum total of the Christian life, my friends, my friends, I pray today you would come under a higher calling where Christ is saying, I have got work for you to do. But the only way you're going to do it is through the help of the Spirit. If Christ needed the Spirit, how much more us? And so I'm going to ask us to stand this morning. And I just feel God wanting to do a very simple thing. I recognize that when I start to talk about the need for the Holy Spirit, some of you have very different ideas of what that looks like. Some of you have got no ideas whatsoever. That's okay. But what God is asking today is saying, will you see your need for Him? Will you see your need for Him? Because when we leave these doors, let me tell you, the life He's calling us to live, it's impossible. It's impossible without the grace of God coming through the Spirit. And you might not know what that answer looks like when you say, Lord, I need you. But what God is asking for is the recognition and hunger for the help of the Spirit. Can we do that this morning? And I sense over these weeks, God is joining us. Last week, he said, guys, our right response is not the Spirit being manipulated to our desires. No, no, we come under his. But today, I feel like God's saying to us, do you recognize your need? Your need for the help of the Spirit. In doing the most mundane things, let me tell you, to be a good teacher, you need the help of the Spirit. Those kiddies are going to drive you crazy. Some of you are going back to bosses that drive you crazy. Some of you have got financial situations that's driving you crazy. Let me tell you now, I want to speak peace to you. What God is saying, he's not sending you back in your own power and say, pull up your socks, you've got to do this. He's saying, no, no, come into my intended purpose for you, which is enjoying the supply 
of his provision in the spirit. But it comes through need. So let's just pray. If that's you, just don't have to put your hands up. You're just in front of you where you are. I just want to invite you to open up your hands to heaven. I'm standing with you. And I want to pray for you this morning. If you just resonate with the fact that, Lord, help me see my need for the spirits. Help me see my needs. That's you. Do you just open up your hands? Father, I praise you today. We're a bunch of weak people. We are weak. So that, Lord, your strength might be perfected in us. So that when people look at SBC, they see people saying, wow, look at what God does in brokenness. Wow, look at what God does for people submitted to the Holy Spirit's power and leading. Wow, look at what people do. Look how these people love one another. Look at how these people serve one another. Look how people, these people serve the city through the power, not of in their own strength, but in the power of the Spirit. And I pray today, Lord, would you just open our eyes afresh to the need of the Spirit's leading in our lives. For swimming teachers, for retirees, for people who have looked at life in the same way, I pray that their eyes would be opened to a new sense of call and need of the Spirit. Father, I pray that as a church, as your people, you will remove all self-sufficiency right now. Would you strip us of all self-confidence? Will you help us see what we're really like in our need to stay close to you and to seek your leading in every aspect of our lives? And oh, even for the encounter of empowering that Christ experienced and set the model for us, I pray today you'd help us be hungry to experience the leading, the help, and the power of the Spirit. Lord, for some of us here, that's, this is just the start of the journey. For some of us, we know what it's like. I pray, would you just bring us around the same goal this morning of starting in this place of saying, Spirit, I need you. Help me. I want to close this morning. I sense there's somebody here who wants this, but they don't know how to get hold of this. My friend, can I just say to you this morning, you have to come to Christ. You have, that's where you find the gift of the Spirit is through Christ becoming your Savior. And what that means is you need to come to a place in your life where you recognize sin, you recognize your need for the Savior, and to come to Him by saying, by faith, Lord, in my heart, I grab hold of Christ who died for me on the cross. That's where you've got to start. That's where the Spirit's driving you now. Would you respond to Him? For the rest of us, Lord, I pray for an increasing desperation, dependency on the Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen. The Lord bless you. Keep you. See you next week.